This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks for being with us. Well, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking about uh, a homicide that took place in Vancouver. It was back in July of 1924, and it is the murder of Scottish nanny Janet Smith, which is the focal point of a new book called The White Angel. And John McLaughlin Gray is the author, and he joins us on the line now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. (laughs) Uh, so this is, it's a, it's a book of fiction, but it's based uh, on a real story. Take us back a little bit to when you first started uh, researching and finding out about the death of Janet Stewart. Well, I, 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 uh, the Janet Smith case is pretty well known in the sense that it happens, and, and, and it's one of those long-standing mysteries in Vancouver history, and you kind of get drawn to it just to see, like, if you can kind of... I don't know, come up with a story around it, because it was never, ever solved. I, uh, I always start really with a time and a place, and not, I, I like places that are, and times that are, are weird, really, really weird, and yet at the same time very familiar, you know? <laughs> and and in, in this one, I mean, 1924, you had a real estate boom, a frenzy, you had an anti-immigration frenzy. You had, uh, with the Asian Exclusion League, you had big drug smuggling industry. You had unemployed vets with PTSD. And then this murder of a Scottish nanny in Shaughnessy, it blows the whole thing open. It just opens this huge can of worms and nearly brings down the government. That, you know, it's, a, it's, it's one of those plots a little like, I don't know if you ever ever saw Chinatown with Jack Nicholson, you know, where one central uh, murder or issue, uh, uh, it just exposes a, the, the, the nasty underbelly of a place. <laughs> and so the, the nanny, the Scottish nanny, is found dead in this posh yeah, Vancouver mansion, shot. shot in the head. Um, talk about the, the, the research you did, because it sounded like the investigation was a bit bungled. A there bit were... bungled. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> well, first of all, of all, they they uh, they decided that she'd been shot in the absolutely dead between the eyes, in the middle of the forehead, and she was lying dead in the laundry room with this big, heavy First World War rifle uh, revolver, uh, uh, Smith and Wesson, that that. Uh, you, you could hardly lift. I mean, she was a tiny woman. And they had first thought it, said it was suicide, as though she had been folding the laundry and then decided to go find her employer's Webley and, and, and shoot herself, which she would have had to be a weightlifter to do it, you know. I mean, there were no burn marks or anything like that. So then, then they decided that it could be accidental, that uh, she just was, quote, fooling around with the gun, and it somehow shot her between the eyes. Now, <laughs> at no point in the early part of the investigation did they uh, consider it to be murder. And uh, I found that really interesting, you know. And <laughs> But then eventually the public pressure, because of rumor, I, Vancouver was a hive of rumor and things were going around. And uh, they had all got bound up with the anti-Asian uh, uh, thing then. We're, we're, it's the same thing as going on now, you know? 
except it's with Muslims now. It was the anti, the Asian Exclusion League got into it, and they they had a a Chinese houseboy who was eventually accused of it, and he was found not guilty because there was absolutely no evidence. Uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan at one point abducted him and tried to beat his confession out of him, but they didn't confess. It's just. Uh, you can't believe that it happened in Vancouver. No, no, you <laughs> can't. Um, talk about this character, Ed McCurdy, a journalist, a failing poet. Uh, mm-hmm. He was on the scene disguised as an undertaker. Oh, well, Ed McCurdy, you see, I first ran into... Uh, I, a lot of these characters, what happens is they start off as real people, and then they kind of take off on their own. Uh, this is Earl Burney, was a journalist, the poet who was worked at UBC for years, didn't die that long ago. Uh, he uh, uh, he actually worked for a newspaper around this case, and that's what started me, right? And he was a poet, not a failed poet, a very good poet. But, you know, you I like failed poets better than good <laughs> poets. There's more you can do with them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, off, he, off he went. And he's one of these guys who's, uh, he's slumming. He, in his mind, he's slumming, and he's doing uh, yellow journalism uh, for a Vancouver newspaper that's run by an ex-general who uh, was a, a horrible man. Uh, uh, and I, I don't know what it. He started out as as a real person, and then of course took off on his own. That was the. He works with, or he has a friend who is an. A veteran who is a tin a, a, a tin nose man. Now, what that was, he got a wound. Uh, he was a, 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 a an ambulance driver, and he got a wound, a head wound from a shrapnel wound that uh, blew out part of his face, like this his uh, his eye. And it's about oh, I think this probably a hole the size of maybe a. Not as big as a baseball, but a little smaller than that. And he, what they did then, because there were so many of those wounds, was they built these these tin patches that would go over the face, and it was very very thin patch. And then they sent them from London to the, uh, 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 to France to an art studio, where people took weeks to paint their eye and to paint the part that was missing right hmm. and he had an, an extra a head an eye that you from a distance couldn't really see that the eye was uh, uh, that the eye was missing except it never blinked you know and it wasn't so bad as many I mean there were guys who had whole faces uh, blown off and, and walked around with half their face in the mask like the famine of the opera you know uh, we maybe where that came from I don't <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, he's got this. But the one thing that it it, it gave he he uh, goes along with him to uh, McCurdy to uh, the sites of uh, murders and things, and uh, and disguised as an undertaker's assistant. The the interesting thing about his name is Sparrow is that the uh, the wound the head injury causes uh, has a a paradoxical effect. On the one hand, he has kind of gaps where he can't, and he has a stutter. But he also can, he has these moments of ESP, of when he can actually tell something's about to happen. 
and he will call up McCurdy. Now, most of the time, he's wrong. So you have to be a psychic yourself to know if he's right or not. But they become friends, and so they go together. Um, and how much was it difficult to when you're dealing with a true story and like you said the character is based on a real person then the characters kind of take off as you're developing them Uh, is it difficult to know how much of the real stuff to leave in and how far you can stray from that well what you hope well you don't you 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 get your i don't credibility with a reader by not making stuff up you don't make up facts now, you make up the connections between the facts, but not the facts themselves. The, the characters, once you've made those connections and the story, the, you get both the characters start, start uh, becoming themselves in terms of the story. And, uh, but also there are other characters that I don't know where they came from. Uh, they just come out of the woodwork. Sparrow, the guy with the, the tin nose man, I mean, I don't know where he came from at all. How long did it take you from when you first found out about or realized you wanted to write a book about this story to get it all together? Oh, gosh. I think five years. Hmm. This is long for me, That, but I was doing a show called Billy Bishop Goes to War at the time, and, and, and I, was, I was actually, surprisingly enough, working. And, and, and so the White Angel had to, it was bit by bit, but I think that was kind of a good thing. You know, because the research, I became a, a hobbyist for quite a while. And I think my biggest, for this one, my biggest uh, literary influence is a Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know? <laughs> well, there are so many things. And that's what I found looking at it. The, the, the true story itself has so many bizarre twists and turns in it. That's the part that almost seems like fiction. I know. You can't tell the difference. Yeah. It's, uh, I, it, that was the same way. It, as it was with me, you can't. And the actual events actually happen. I don't make up events. I just, uh, 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 everything that, all the stages of the story of it, I make up. But what happens with characters is that there's an original book about it called Who Killed Janet Smith? And it's a, it, it's the thing to read if you just want to know about the case. But it, there are so many characters in it, so many people. They come from so many different directions that you get really, really confused. And so, characters kind of come together as you they, they in, into force force fields. Uh, they they the forces that were at work, and so the characters do more than the original people they were based on. Um, looking at the just the write up about the book, was the Prince of Wales really at some point a suspect? The rumors were unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, yes, that the Prince of Wales was thought. He wasn't anywhere near the place at the time. But he was, he was thought it, was, it, it could be him. It was thought it was a, uh, a high-ranking minister that, she, that had, uh, had his way with her, and she, she killed him, that it was a kind of stag party that went wrong, that went south, that it was... Uh, there, there, uh, that uh, oh oh that that the Freemasons the Freemasons had had something to do with it. There were, it it and and then of course that dr- drug smuggling that that had something. It was the the rumor mill was unbelievable. And the reason for that, I believe, and this is me, but I I may I I could be wrong. Was the the um, the telephone operators that. Every phone had to go through an operator, and 
you had you could listen in. Operators were listening in, and so these rumors kind of just flew like wildfire. And I, so I have a character who is, she is a telephone operator and who was a telephone operator during the war, and uh, she's actually the smartest person in the room, really. But. Um, <laughs> And and how was it, just before I let you go, how was it writing this? Because as you mentioned, you, you have written many other things, not all novels, uh, plays and such, yeah, and you were sure. working on Billy Bishop Goes to War. Sure. Uh, that got a Governor General's Literary Award for drama. Uh, how was it writing this type of book? Well, it's it's not that, it's it was very, the process itself isn't that much different from writing Billy Bishop Goes to War in the sense you start with something real and you make sense of it for yourself, you know? That that's the that that's part of it. What what's I, I after Billy Bishop, I I wrote film scripts for a while, and I got a couple made. And uh, but the problem was that uh, you you most scripts you write they're just they're just a black a, 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 a sort of a uh, for a movie a, a sort of blueprint for a movie, and it takes off, and it everyone gets to say every, something about it, and 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 uh, change it and fool around with it. The novel is like a movie inside your mind, and so it's this kind of controlled dreaming. So if you're, when writing isn't so much sitting down writing words on a page, just staring out the window, or just before you go to sleep, sort of going through the story in your mind and seeing what comes up. And that's just a long process, and I'm really glad it took that long. Well, uh, I'm glad as well, and also glad you were able to join us this morning. Uh, John McLaughlin Gray, thank you so much uh, for for being here. It was great to chat with you. Nice to talk to you. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.